What the fuck is up, Chet? Hey, hey, hey. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, chilling. Just, uh, just, just got here. I definitely didn't record anything prior to this. <laughs> Haven't been sitting in the same room for maybe the last two hours. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, we nothing, nothing like that. Yeah, nothing absolutely like that not. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Real Nerd Hours, your favorite slice of life podcast, ostensibly about nerd shit. Uh, and in this week's edition, it's game development. Yeah. Uh, we've got a special guest joining us today, uh, Senior David Lang uh, of Iron Galaxy, of Team GFB Radio, of I'm a Fix Wolves. Uh, uh, also made several appearances in Giant Bomb videos. Yes, you may know him from being a meme on the internet, or you may know him from memeing on the internet uh, on his Twitter account at Joseph J Brony. All of the links will be in the description uh, in the show notes below. By the way, uh, it's worth a listen. Yeah. Uh, so on today's episode, aside from Dave Lang, I've got a little bit of a review for you. I watched two Batman movies this weekend. I believe one is Gotham by Gaslight or Gas Lamp, one of those two. And the other is Batman Ninja or Ninja Batman. I think it's Batman Ninja. Batman Ninja. Yeah. Uh, So to start with Gotham by Gaslight, that one was cool. The animation kind of sucked. The story was interesting. I think it would be better in comic book form because the art would probably be a lot better. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, it's Batman versus Jack the Ripper. And, yeah, they kind of go after each other throughout the entire show. He doesn't have a sidekick. Catwoman is a is a figure in the movie. Poison Ivy is in the movie, but she's not important. It's it's kind of just a straightforward movie. I mean, it's not it's not like going to blow your dick back or anything. It's not great. It's pretty all right. Uh, it, I mean, I I guess I recommend it if you've got like time to spare and if it's like streaming for free on some service, but not necessarily if you want to see like a good Batman movie. All right. Uh, <laughs> a glowing endorsement from you. Yeah, yeah, very strong, strong <laughs> feelings on that one. Um Batman Ninja was bad. I don't recommend watching it. Mainly because the story is stupid and the Joker is super fucking annoying. (laughs) Uh, And it's not like a fun annoying either. It's just like he's just laughing kind of a lot for no reason. (laughs) And I get that he's the Joker, but like... Yo, chill. Come the fuck on. Yeah, it's just not good. (laughs) All right, all right. Yeah, I think you're the first person, the first review I've heard of it that is negative. Like, a lot of the impressions that I got from the internet was that they thought it was super cool. The concept is kind of neat. The opening sequence is really cool, like the way that it's animated and how things, like, work out with a little thing that sends them into the past. But, like, the rest of the movie is kind of just dumb. (laughs) and the motivations behind everything are stupid like here's a spoiler spoiler alert uh fast forward about a minute or so if you don't want to hear it i'll let it breathe okay so at one point batman says like uh oh i've been relying too much on my technology uh to get things done i used to be such a different person 
I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? These guys literally made mechs. Like, they made gigantic fucking robots. And you're over here sulking because you relied on your fucking car that managed (laughs) to get transported to the past with you? That's so fucking weird, man. That's so weird. Sounds like you need more technology, man. Yeah, right? step it up. He's fighting giant... Like, you're not going to take down a... Well, they did, but... Like, the likelihood of you taking down a giant fucking robot without your mystical car or any sort of technology is so low. And they're giant robots, dog. Like, come on. It doesn't make any... It didn't make any sense to me. It didn't make any sense. I hated it. I hate it. And then Joker's laughing a whole lot. And it's like, what? But why? Like, I get that you're the Joker and sometimes you have laughing fits or whatever. But, like, after every line you deliver, dog, like, chill. I mean, yeah, life is funny. That's what you do. Lovely. It was, it was so fucking annoying. That movie sucked. Uh, if I had to recommend one, it would be Gotham by Gaslight. Uh, that one was cool. All right. Like the concept, at least. But even with that said, I'd say go read the comic. Batman was just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> or Ninja Batman. Batman Ninja. Whichever it was. Which one was it? Batman Ninja. Batman Ninja. It was fucking bad. Don't Batman, watch that. Batman, Batman. Well, anyway... Uh, that's all I've got to say. Yeah. You, you got anything? Uh, I want to give another... I think I mentioned this show on on here before, but I want to I wanna just talk on Uma Musume real quick. That's the horse racing lesbian idol show. I thought it was dog racing. I thought they were like greyhounds. No, they're horses. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not that it matters all that much, but yeah, basically it's... Girls with horse ears and tails, and they're like, how they came to be is that their mothers are impregnated by the spirits of our dimension's great horses, and that's how they conceive horse girls. There are times where it's nice to have a backstory to explain why you have anthropomorphic uh, creatures in your world. There's other times where it's best left. Just, you know what? We don't got to explain shit. You'd have been better off with that one, guys. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to talk about how terrible the show is. Because the show is terrible. And, Obviously. I was never the market. Like, it was never meant for me. Who's the market for that show? People who are really into idol sh- trash shit. Oh, I, I, I should mention, this show takes itself seriously. This is not done as a joke. Uh, that's so terrible. Oh, yeah. It is objectively just bad. And if you enjoy the show, Nikki, then you have to accept that the show is terrible. She does. Uh, but with that said, I'm not going to talk about why the show is bad from a conceptual standpoint. I'm uh-huh. going to talk about why the show is bad from its own world's standards. <laughs> All right. I'm, okay. I look forward to this. So, if you know anything about horse racing, horse races, at, you know, at the pro level, like when you would actually be watching this shit, they're very close. Like, the difference between first and last 
generally speaking, is going to be out of a race of 10, it's going to be less than 10 horse lengths. Like they're going to be very close together unless someone just dominates or someone eats shit. But there's a reason why photo finishes have been a thing for a while. Okay. The first race you see in this show, the, the winner wins by 11 horse races. That's not a thing. That is not a fucking thing. Like, no, it does not happen. And she's like not even the best one. She's like still an up and comer. Okay. By 11 horse lengths? Yes. That's so stupid. It's fucking dumb. Okay. That's that's number one. Uh, actually, even before then in the show, the main character, uh, she's from, I forget where, but she's from the country. And then she goes to Tokyo to go to this sports school specifically so she can, you know, be a, be a racehorse. Well, her first time running in any form of sanctioned race or like doing any form of racing was when she went to the school. Now, I don't know if you know anything about sports schools or about sports in the country, (laughs) but in compared to urban areas or even suburban areas, the country dominates sports. There's a reason why like Kentucky state university, or Texas A&M, or, you know, a lot of Southern schools are really good at, at, like, every sport. Alabama. Alabama. It's because they don't really have shit else to do. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> like, and it, but they really put an emphasis in rural areas on sports and, like, athletic performance. So for a country bumpkin to have aspirations of being a racer while not being a racer their whole life, that makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And for a sports school to accept her as a racer, having no experience as a racer makes no damn sense to me. Okay. Well, that's that, those are fair complaints. Yep. And then the one that really killed me was that uh, the same girl who won by 11 horse rate lengths, she ended up breaking her ankle I guess during a... Oh, did they take her out back to be shot? They should have. Or made into glue? They should (laughs) have. However, given that she's a horse girl, not just a horse, apparently she's still viable as a racer. But a a broken ankle takes, on average, six weeks to heal. And, okay, you won't be up to racing shape within those six weeks. You still have to do some, some physical therapy, get your shit back up to speed. But, you know, two, three months at the worst. She was in a wheelchair for nine months. For nine months? Nine months she's out of commission. What, her ankle was pregnant? (laughs) It must be. You know what? That must be what really happened. She just got pregnant. (laughs) She never broke her ankle in the first place. By the spirit of a horse from her past or whatever. Yeah. From another dimension. (laughs) Another universe. A horse got a a person pregnant. In a from a different universe. Yeah, that, that's how it works. Somewhere Interdimensional <laughs> spunk. <laughs> oh god, and that's god. that's horse semen too. Think about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. I, I've seen jackass. Shit. I've seen somebody yeah. drink horse nut. That maybe uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe seems like not a good idea. Yeah. God damn. Musky, and I've seen Mr. Hands too. I. I have not. 
that's not something you want to see. Uh, yeah, you know, don't look that up. Put, put, put the link in the show notes. Click it at your no, own. Risk. No, 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 no way. Yeah, but uh, Uma Musume, straight trash, and you should know what you're getting into. But, you know, I hold shows accountable, even if it's trash and you accept that you're trash, even though that show doesn't. Like, at least have some sense of reality here. Like world building. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. If you if you take cues from real life in even your core concepts, you should follow real life in those core concepts. Maybe they should have just had her taken out back and shot. Maybe. Or made into and glue. As far as I can tell, because I only watched like two episodes. It was like the first episode and like the tenth episode. But as far as I can tell... It's not going to be a major plot point that it was a whole ass nine months that she was out. They just did it as a nine months later. Oh, everyone's back. Like, it's not, oh, it's the next fucking school year and this really matters. And like, you know, she's been passed up by all these people. That could be where they're going. But it doesn't matter because you're not going to watch it. Anymore. Absolutely not. <laughs> I've seen more than enough. Anime sucks. Oof. That's one of the reasons why it's hard to recommend anime as a genre is because trash like that gets produced. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Can you imagine your dad walking in when you're watching that? It's like, oh, well, this is a show about horse racing, but the horses are all girls and they're all beautiful and they're all in love with each other. Also, they're singers. He, they're all they're singers too. Oh yeah, so you know how when um you have a race, there's the winning concert. Yes, this is literally a winning concert uh, where the girls sing and dance, and they're all idols. That's so sad. Anime is <laughs> terrible. Anime was a mistake. Yep. It really was. Yep. Oh, Miyazaki was fuck. right. So yeah. That's what makes me a rage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, anyway, uh, if you're still listening, <laughs> uh, let's just go to let's go to the the interview with Dave. Yeah, thank uh, you, Dave. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Uh, what up? Hey, hey, hey! How's it going? It's your man's Denzel. It's your boy Chet. We're here with a very special guest today. Uh, we're here with a one Mr. David Lang. Got D. Leezy Lave Dang in the building. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. How we doing? Great. Fantastic. You? you doing all Is right? Is this uh, the official Real Nerd Hours? Are we in them now? Yes. Uh, yes. Real Nerd Hours have begun. I mean, okay. If you're, if you're thorough, they just don't end. It's 24 Oh, my goodness. That's depressing. It's real nerd hours. Yeah, fair Smash enough. Fair enough. Fucking nerd button. <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So to give a brief introduction of our guest today, he is a C three PO of Iron Galaxy. Uh, he is known. He's known for doing some prolific memeing around the internet. He's a video game streamer. He's also. Uh, big in the fgc he is he's a household name if you you know are a massive nerd yeah very limited demographic of households but in those households <laughs> the name rings out in those households yeah it's a lot of basements 
Yeah. <laughs> Dusty Attics. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of background about you. Uh, coming from being a programmer to the head of a studio. Uh, sure. What was that transition for you like? So – uh, I could talk about this for 23 hours straight, I think. I'll try to limit it to a few minutes here. Um, All right. <laughs> but it was basically, um, it was never something I really had in mind. Um, I was basically at Midway. But I've been programming for years. I've been in the industry since 96, basically. And in 2008, I was at Midway. And Midway was kind of on fire. It was clearly something dramatic was going to happen, either go out of business completely or, you know, WB ended up buying a lot of the studios and IPs and stuff like that. But before it was clear that was happening, I decided just to, you know, I can't do any worse. So it's just on my own right now. And so I punched out and started this thing we're doing now, Iron Galaxy. And basically, originally it was just going to do like uh, consulting and contracting. Um, and it was going to be all engineering all the time pretty much. But then just kind of slowly it kept growing and growing and growing. And I realized, hey, to be like most valuable to – uh, the studio, like I don't add the most value programming anymore. I should probably do more like businessy type stuff. And I really love programming and it was hard to kind of not do it anymore. Cause it's like programming is creative in a way that business development just isn't, um, you know, programming, you're solving problems, maybe for the first time ever, you're getting to figure things out. Uh, and it's really exciting when you have like breakthroughs, uh, you know, even with simple problems, it can be really exciting and rewarding just to see stuff on the screen. And doing the business stuff is not really rewarding at all. It's basically like mm. it's 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 like you you know you try to do deal after deal after deal, and just the very nature of it. Even if you like you're really good, for every hundred deals you try to get done, you know, ninety nine percent of them don't happen. And so you get told no a lot. And when you get told yes, it doesn't really outweigh the no's. And so you just have to find satisfaction from a different place. And uh, for a long time, I fought it. So I tried to do like both programming and the business stuff for like two years. And I could feel myself getting worse as a programmer. And I hated that feeling. But then eventually, I just kind of just bit the bullet and went cold turkey and just stopped working on uh, programming for games that we were working on anyway. And uh, it ended up being the best thing for the company for sure. Uh, part of me still misses it. Um, part of me is glad. I'm not at the studio at midnight anymore fixing bugs for a build that has to go out tomorrow. Uh, but, yeah, well, overall, it's, it's been good for the company. That's good. That's, I mean, it's a little bit of a sad story. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you decided to take hold the L personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I don't think about it as sad, right? It's like there's part of me that is still sad. Like I don't program anymore, and I miss it. But, like, uh, you know, the – I guess I kind of saw undersold like what the job is like a little bit. Like I, I love meeting people and I love to travel and I love to just get out and experience new things. And if I was a programmer, I would never get to do it. Like I do it now. Like I get, like I've been calling you from Tokyo right now. Right. And, yeah. uh, I wouldn't be here if I was just a stupid programmer. So, um, <laughs> it's like, that stuff's awesome. And I do love my job and I love what I do. There's just a part of me that's always, always, always going to miss programming. Sure. That's fair. Now, I mean, having seen you on videos and being able to talk to you here, you have a large personality, and it almost feels like that would be wasted on you just sitting behind a computer, holed up in the dark. And do you think that that influenced your 
decision to become more someone that's like out there rubbing elbows and schmoozing and whatnot? I, I wasn't always like this, um, like very performative and kind of, like I said, a big personality. Like I'm pretty much the same person I've always been um, that I can remember anyway. You know, I have like, kind of like, you know, same core values and say like maybe I'm probably, I'm probably like was probably more cent- central, like in my political spectrum stuff. Now I'm kind of more left-leaning um, but basically the same person essentially that I was in high school and, and as far back as I can remember. Um, the difference is I was just kind of a goofball around my friends and no one else really knew about it. And then, then uh, kind of as, you know, it's all, it's weird. It's like one of the things that I don't lament cause it's a, it's a, you know, it's a blessing, but like the, the relationship I have with the giant bomb guys is how 95% of people in the world know me, you know, like like two people percent know me from KI, it's three percent know me from Dive Kick, and the other 95 percent know me from Giant Bomb, and it's a at times it's a little frustrating. It's like oh I, I've done all this stuff professionally, and people only know me because I'm an idiot on GiantBomb.com or whatever, right? And but eventually I kind of got over that and just leaned into it and started having fun with it. And uh, I really yeah I like doing going to packs and doing panels, and I like doing the league of heels stuff and i like just being an idiot in general so uh it kind of always has been part of me it's just i never really if like if you knew me really well you knew that was part of me but no one else did and now kind of everyone else knows it so uh yeah i guess to answer your question do i feel like it would have been a waste i mean maybe it's, it's kind of not the way i really think about it it's just kind of who i am sure sure that's what's up. Uh, let's also take note of the light flex here, calling in from Tokyo. Yeah. I saw yeah, the- oh, Did I do that? Did I say that out loud? Oh. <laughs> oh, whoops. Oh, whoops. What was me? Flex on him. Flex. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so going back to your, your history in game development and programming, um, was there any point in history like when the technology turned where you said, like, yo, this is a fucking game changer. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to speed up the process by orders of magnitude or make my job easier by loads or anything like that. Um, it's a good question. I think there's things, there's a lot of things that improve quality of life. Um, like, I remember like kind of like when visual studio kind of became the norm for like, uh, you know, inter- uh, development environments. Uh, and it was pretty good compared to other things and, or, or even back further than that when code warrior was kind of everywhere and, uh, they, they kept making improvements to that and getting it better. But it's like, there's, there's not one thing I could think of. Like my, my initial snap answer was going to be a kind of like just how ubiquitous engines are now. And, how unreal or unity or whatever is kind of everywhere and it's easy to start making games. Um, and so I guess that would be my answer, but I don't really even feel like that is accurate because like, it's weird. It's like we're with every like technology advance, like the expectation of people that play games has advanced right along with it. And so like the relative difficulty of making games while the relative ease of making of like accessibility to making games and the ability to like tools and everything that are essential to doing it has, has got, gotten a lot better. Um, the expectations have also gotten a lot higher. And so 
I think they've basically stayed in lockstep with each other. So, um, if anything, I feel like, I feel like probably just the maturation of some parts of the industry. Like I know there's a lot of studios that have bad reps cause like they grind their people to dust and they work 18 hour days and whatever. Um, but, and that was what, when I got started, that's how it was, but no one, it wasn't cause like a boss made me do it. It's cause I was like, fuck, I get to make video games. This is fucking amazing. Right. And so I just kind of did it and, and it was expected and it was the norm. And now I don't think that's the norm anymore. And I think it's, it's more possible to have like a life and do this job, which isn't the question you asked, but I think that's like the, when I think about like the best thing in my like 22 years of making games professionally, that's probably like the best change is just that people can find studios like ours or, you know, like others that just are like jobs and you show up and you put in your 40 and you make your games and you go home. That's fair. Yeah. And that's really something that I never really thought about. Like I know that there is studios from any creative perspective that will, you know, just grind you into the ground and they expect you to work, you know, 12, 16 hours a day. But yeah, since these companies are so much larger and more ubiquitous, there's no need for that unless you're in grind session. Crunch, I believe. Yes, crunch time. Yeah, yes. or grind <laughs> session. <laughs> yeah, like uh, there's there's a lot of talk. I mean, there's a crunch talk pops up on Twitter every three months or so. Someone says crunch is bad uniformly or whatever. I, I actually like. I have pretty strong feelings about crunch. Like, I don't think crunch as a policy is good. Right. I think I think it's I think it's bad. I think it's like objectively objectively incorrect. Like. Yeah, no, we're just going to work. We're going to work really hard at the end of a project, every single project, or we're going to like whatever it takes to get this thing done, we're going to do it. Like, I think that's not correct. But I don't think like a, like a voluntary crunch is bad at all. Sure. Like, I've always like if you tell someone, okay, you have like it's if I tell my kids, right? Like, hey, you have to get 10 pages in math done today or whatever it is. They're like 10 pages and then they get five done and then they drag their heels and it takes them just as takes them like three times as long to do the last five as they did the first five, and I, I think you can look at that and say, "Oh, I shouldn't mandate the amount of work they need to do." But at the same time, the same kid, it's so like, "Holy shit, I'm into this math right now." They get through ten pages in record time or whatever. And point being to that is like, I remember when I was into my work and I was really into what I was doing. Like, I didn't want to go home because my work was very rewarding and. Uh, as long as that's my choice and something I can opt into and I can manage my hours myself and I'm a grown ass adult and I I don't really need someone to tell me when to sleep and when to eat. And, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out for myself. And I think that flies counter to a lot of the stuff you see online now. And, you know, I think it's the only thing I, the only way I can really answer that is just like, everybody's different. And for some people, maybe it is just objectively bad, right? Like maybe there's some people out there who are hardwired, that just like, nope, I need my 40 and then I'm shutting down. And there's some people like, you know, who just could eat it up breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Like one of my friends at Iron Galaxy, Ramon, Ramon programs, like you have to send him home. And then when he goes home, he works on his own games for fun, right? Yeah, like man. he programs 16 hours a day. It's all he wants to do with his life, right? And um, it's hard to tell him that's wrong. He's like laughable, right? Ramon would laugh in your face. So <laughs> it's like I – long-winded way of saying like you know crunch is problematic at when it's mandated by the company and all this stuff but like i don't necessarily agree with the notion that it's just like 
any minute spent past 40 hours is wrong. Yeah, the I've got two issues when it comes to crunch as far as like the concept of it being forced on people goes because like to me and granted like this isn't always the case, but towards the end of a project you should be kind of like winding down. I used to work in the film industry and for some reason this would happen constantly, but like they would just shorten deadlines. Like if they saw you were doing well on something, they would right. just bring the deadline up, oh, and then they and then they would make people work longer hours to meet the new deadline. Oh, you're doing good. Well, how about now, asshole? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and there's there's always somebody in management that has like the weird notion that just because they're willing to be there all hours of the day doesn't mean that like Johnny Smith in cubicle 420 wants to spend their entire day there. Like they probably right. got kids got things to do and like it, it's a bad kind of sign for company culture for me. Uh, but that's coming from somebody who's not an expert in any no, stretch. It is super like the behavior you're talking about though is super problematic because like if you've been at a studio where the expectation is you work really hard all the time and 60 hours is like what's expected at least. Right. Even when we're not crunching near the end, just you put an extra here. Um, like it, it, at play, I've worked in places like that and it has a chilling effect on things like there's, you know, you're, you're painfully aware that if you get up and leave, everyone else on the team is going to know you left. Oh, you know, yep, yep. And, and everyone else on the team is going to be like, holy shit, Dave just left. He's not doing what we're doing. Fuck Dave, blah, 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 blah. And so you just kind of get conditioned to just leave when other people start leaving and not, not be the first one to leave and da, 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 da. And we've had people that have come to Iron Galaxy uh, from other places and they're just kind of like don't know what to do at six o'clock. Like they don't know. It's fine just to get up and walk away from your desk and go home or whatever. Right. Like. Uh, and it's really, you have to kind of like, you know, deprogram is probably too extreme a word, but like you have to earn their trust that like, no, this is totally fine. And so, uh, it, you know, just cause Ramon is here doesn't mean you have to be here too. No one's going to think less of it. Right. So it is that, that kind of thing. I know exactly what you're talking about with that kind of like, you know, one person just grinding it out. Um, like if you do have someone like that, the, the, the leadership has to be very clear that like. Hey, this isn't expected. This isn't required. Uh, this person is doing it because they want to do it. Uh, we have no expectation that anyone else here will do it and then earn the trust of everyone that that's actually the case. Yeah, definitely. So when, when putting together your company, did you, did you have any like m ideas or conditions for like a company culture that you wanted to put together? Um, yeah, the, the biggest thing from that's kind of been true since day one is, like the reason, well, one of the reasons the company exists is because I thought a company was about to close on me, right? And <laughs> I've, I've had three or four, I've had three companies close on me overnight, basically. Um, and I've been very fortunate that, like, one of the things that happens when you're at a company, a big company that closes, is people go everywhere. And if you're a good teammate and you're a good worker and, you know, you're not a total jerk hole, uh, that's actually a really good thing for your career because, you know, now if I want to go to Sony Santa Monica or I want to go to gorilla in Amsterdam, 
I probably know somebody there, or at least maybe I know somebody that knows somebody or whatever, right? And it could be like a really good kind of network signal boost kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> but that being said, the thing that sucks about it is as a, like someone who led teams, like building a team and building a team that works well together and is pulling the rope in the same direction is really hard. And I kind of just got sick of building teams and then having them dismantled because like, oh, this game didn't sell what we needed to sell. And now we don't have money to run the company or whatever, right? So <clears throat> when we started Iron Galaxy up, before I hired anybody, I, went, I was six months solo before I even hired anybody. And my thought process in doing it is like, okay, if I hire anyone else, that's like a big commitment. Like, what do I, why would I do that and what do I want to do it for? And I kept coming back to like, I just want to work with my friends forever. Uh, I don't, you know, like, there's no intention of Iron Galaxy, like, we're not like some person looking for Silicon Valley money to build this thing and then flip it and get out and do it again. Like this is a company we want and hopefully everyone in the company feels this way. Like we're building to retire from, right? Cause we enjoy the people we work with. We get to do cool projects and it's a cool culture and it's not insanely driven. Right. So like the, that was kind of like the one thing from day one that I, I kind of want to do it here too. And by and large, we've been very successful with that. Um, most people understand that we work on a lot of different things at once. And so, you know, it's, it's not like one, one argument you get from people about crunch, like publishers or whatever. It's like, Hey, time to roll up the sleeves. It's like, well, no, it's not time to roll up the sleeves. Well, no, it's like, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, here's the thing. Like at Iron Galaxy, we don't have just your project. We've got like 10 projects we're working on at once. And there's something always ending, right? There's always one, two, three, four projects that are ending right now. That means some part of the studio would be in perpetual crunch. Like, and that just doesn't work at all, like at any level, right? So no, we're not crunching for you. And um, making sure like that we get the people that are cool with that kind of environment, that uh, understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, um, is super important. All right. That's awesome. Yeah, and I, I feel like that kind of perspective on it pretty much can only come from someone who was in the pit like actually doing the work you know not not just coming in there as someone who's there specifically for business development just to flip the company or, or you know whatever but, yeah well that's what's one of the nice things i mean like the, the the company like i think one of the i think generically quote unquote business people get bad reps like i don't think sure i think i think people like want to do their job and business people are conditioned to make the most money for their company as possible and you know so it's like, I think it, a lot of what they can do can be like, yeah. So that being said, like the, the whole reason the company is the way it is, is because I didn't start off as a business person, right? right? Like I was a programmer who just wanted to keep programming with my friends. And that kind of mentality has informed every single thing about the company to this day. Um, like I said, August will be 10 years, uh, which is weird. Oh, congratulations. Um, yeah, it's really bizarre. Uh, and so we must be doing something right. But like, it's it, like I said, it's, it's when, when we hire people, one of the, like I have a, I try to, one thing that sucks about interviews is everyone, like 99% of the people you're interviewing just fucking need a job. Right. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if it's iron galaxy or insomniac or whatever, they just need a fucking job because they're out of a job. And, but I really do my best to try to make sure people understand like, Hey, listen, we look at this as like a semi-permanent bond, right? Like we don't want you to get here and be unhappy and then look for a job in a year, right? That's like, 
that's a that's a fail case to us, right? So mm-hmm. what I want you to understand is like you're going to come here, and this isn't a place where you're going to work on like one huge game for five years, right? You might work on like UI for one game one day, then you might fix bugs on another game another day, then you might do you know whatever it is like uh, optimize some memory or whatever on another game the third day, and you have to be okay with that. If you're not okay with that, you shouldn't come here. And I have that meeting, I have that conversation with every potential hire we, we have because, you know, I just, like I said, I don't want someone to get here and be miserable. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but I try to, if I sense someone just needs a job, I just try to be very clear about what we're doing because I, I don't want them to, like, come in and not be a fit for what we're all, what the rest of us are trying to accomplish. Yeah, that's completely understandable. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Whenever, whenever I run into, I had a, I had an interview at like a kind of a big tech company recently and they, one thing that I think they especially fail at, especially because they're up in San Francisco and like being in California, I'm kind of conditioned to respond to people a certain way. Like it's easy for me to tell when somebody's kind of fake in the funk and yeah. Going into going into some of these companies, they want what you're describing, but they also want to be the dudes who sell the company for billions and then try to replicate a good, clean company culture that makes sense over and over and over again. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to hear you talk about like having a company to be able to retire from. As opposed to like, yo, I'm here to sell my company to Facebook for $2 billion and then kind of pack up my bags and fuck everybody else. <laughs> and then yeah, it's straight to Tahiti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some upside to that plan, too. But like the it's just me, the way I'm wired, like I we had this thing where any company has its ups and downs, right? Like whenever anyone asks me how the company's doing, you know, I always say, oh, it's good till it's not. Right. And then when it's not good, it's, it really sucks. Mm. Uh, especially when you like, for me, it's not just, it's not, I don't, I don't want to say like I'm friends with all 140 people at iron galaxy. I'm not like I, you know, I have people I've worked with a long time from midway and they're at iron galaxy, but I try to think of everyone as like, I, 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 when it comes to this sort of line of thought, it doesn't matter if you've been there six months and maybe I, I don't know your name yet and you're in Orlando or you've been here almost the entire time. Like I try to treat think of everyone the same way in this regard where it's like, no, listen, like I made a promise to these people. Right. And the promise is we are not going to, you know, project ends and we lay a bunch of people off like a billion companies do. We're not going to do that. Right. That's, and it's hard because the, uh, uh, you know, a company our size, like I mentioned, about 140 developers. Um, everyone is still different. They're their own people. And everyone has their own kind of sets of experiences and uh, values and, and problems and personal problems they're dealing with. And running a company this way uh, is very difficult uh, because if you say, like, hey, I care about everyone that works here, Right then like just the mathematic odds of it, right? There's 140 people in Iron Galaxy. Every decision we make is not going to be agreed with all 140 people, sure. right? 
uh, like, you know, whatever, a minimum of like 10% will disagree with it. And in some cases, much higher than that will disagree with it, right? Sometimes very strongly. And it's, it's hard in those situations to convince people sometimes that it's like, well, no, it's like, we're still like, like we disagree on this one thing, but still what I want is I still want all the things we've already said. And it makes running the company very hard. Whereas if it was just kind of like, Hey, you know, we're here to make a billion dollars. Uh, if this works out, everyone's going to get a, a nice big chunk of change. Um, like if you're, if you're a company that's like built around that, uh, you don't expect that you're going to get along with everybody and you don't expect that, you know, you're going to be pleasant to people in the office sometimes or whatever. Right. Cause you're there to do that one thing. Right. So it's a lot, I think it's a lot more like emotional labor to run the company our way. Hmm. Um, and it's not always fun. And sometimes it feels pretty like people, you know, I, I can't lie. Like there's days when I like, I've got like a really legitimate big problem and, uh, like, you know, it's, it just, something just went bad and someone comes in and complains that like, Oh, we're, how are we out of soda? We should never be out of soda. <laughs> it's like, like, Hey, Hey, uh, not right now. Maybe like, this is a bad moment for you to have claim about soda. Also the seven 11s down the fucking street and help yourself. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to, to do what we're doing. And, you know, I don't, I want to like, I'm really proud of what we've built and the culture we have, but I don't want to make it sound like also like I know there's other companies like ours. Like this isn't exclusively like an Iron Galaxy thing. Of course, um, certainly. And I, I meet people that run companies like the way we do all the time, and uh, I really uh, like picking those people's brains and talking to them. Yeah, yeah. Back when uh, when I was looking for a job, one of the big expl- explanations that I got from certain types of companies where like all right there's lifestyle companies and achievement based companies so like you can't have both at the same time really if you want to work for a lifestyle company that means you get to go home at five o'clock every day if you want achievement then you need to stay here for all hours until you get everything you need done done yeah which is just complete bullshit right like (laughs) doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all like if you it's it's if your plan requires people to work 80 hours a week to have an achievement, right? You've made a shitty plan. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. it's that, it's like that, it's that simple. Like you're, you're probably a bad person with a shitty plan. Like, <laughs> like su- success and like managing your workload are not mutually exclusive at all. Yeah. 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 I can definitely see that being, someone's mantra though just like it's, what but, you I mean, you're not putting in 80 <laughs> i mean that, that stuff is in business books actually like there's a lot of business books so like one thing you know i was really hyper conscious of i don't really know much about business i'm a programmer and i'm starting a business and that's really scary and so i started to read a bunch of books and by and large i i hated them all and so i stopped reading them but there's actually like this notion of like lifestyle company versus uh you know versus the arrest of them is actually like a really widely distributed notion in the business world. And oh, wow. it's, it's very caustic and like the, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really, it's like the, I think it's all centered around kind of the myth of the founder, like the, you know, like Silicon Valley and companies get really obsessed with people like me who created the company in their garage or basement in my case or whatever it is. Right. And wow, what a heroic act. And wow, look at them. And wow, they're doing all this awesome shit. And blah, 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 blah. And it's like, it's and, and like, and the founder is like, when you're getting started, you have to work really hard, right? And maybe you're working more than 80 hours. 
but that makes sense because it's your fucking company, right? right like, exactly. Like it's your you're putting your ass in the line. You're probably putting yourself into debt to do it. You probably you know put a personal guarantee on a loan, right? And hopefully you knew what you were doing when you signed up for all that stuff. And but if someone just comes and takes a job at your fucking company, and they don't have all that on the line. And like you expect them to do that. Like that's like, no, we're a lifestyle company because I'm living this lifestyle. Well, if you want everyone to live that lifestyle, then you better make sure that everyone else like reaps the benefits of that lifestyle too, not just right. you. And it's just it's all bullshit and it makes me really mad. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so in your in your twenty two years of experience in games, uh how has the perception of gaming changed? in that time um it's yeah so to me i maybe it's just like the friends i have and the family i have like ever since like day one like when i told people i made video games it was always like oh that's cool like i I hear a lot of people get asked similar questions they're like oh my god it's almost accepted now it's like (laughs) you know maybe it's just because i'm like a six foot seven white guy right this might be one of those built-in advantages uh i just have one of the several thousand built-in advantages i have but like when I say I've made video games, everyone's like, that's fucking awesome. Anything I know. And then we just talk about games for a little bit or whatever. Even if people weren't into games, like my mom's not into games at all. My dad's not into games at all. But I'm like, they know I love games and they know I'm excited about it. And so it's like, that's enough for them. Right. So I've never really had that, that, that thing where it's like, I get looked down upon for making games or whatever, blah, 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 blah. I guess maybe some people at college did, uh, that's actually true. That's the only time I ever felt that in my life is when it was a semester we were graduating college. I was at University of Illinois studying electrical engineering. And uh, at the time, it's still a really – I don't even know what its ranking is now. I assume it's still really good. But like for undergrad, when I, the year I graduated, it was like the number two ranked double E school in the country, right? Really prestigious, really competitive. Um, and because of that, it's like it, because it's so competitive, it attracted a lot of competitive kids, Right. And so you're competing with your with each other for grades. You're competing with each other for jobs. And there was actually a stat that was like, I couldn't believe they did it. It's like when you get a job offer at Illinois, you're supposed to tell the um, hiring coordinators in the in the double E department, like, hey, who is the offer from and what was it? Right. And the rationale for that is like, oh, that way we can help everyone that gets an offer from Hewlett Packard know what the normal offer is or whatever. Right. But one of the things they would do with that is they would turn it into an average salary for all graduates. And they just posted it like on the corkboard in the hallway. Like Yikes. This, this week, this graduating class is at this number, right? It's the second highest of all time. Like whatever, whatever. whatever. And so it made all the students there hyper aware of what you were making, what you were making. And for me, like, like if I took like most double E's, I know without giving like actual numbers don't matter. But like I took a job that was probably half of what I could have made if I went like with a regular double E job. Right. And because it's just software and it's games and it's not mature industry yet and all this stuff. And so I definitely knew I took a job much, much lower paying than I could have got otherwise. And I would tell my friends that and they'd get fucking mad at me because I bring the average down. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, no, dude, like you're going to go work on like, you know, a calculator and I'm going to go work on Space Jam for the Saturn. Like, tell me which one of those is cooler. Which, like, which one of us will probably be happier a year from now, right? And uh, 
so I, I did feel that then, but that was the only time, which oddly enough was from all my college peers, but yeah. And it wasn't even for the reason of, wow, this giant nerd over here. It was, right. oh, look at this broke boy ruining our average. Exactly, yeah. Poverty lifestyle coming into play. <laughs> moving, moving to like kind of how the market is structured right now, uh, something that's kind of, I guess you could say, come back is uh, games as a service. Uh, whereas, like, back in, like, I, I want to say, like, 80s, early 90s, it was arcades that operated as, like, a kind of a facsimile of what we have now, as far as, like, right. games as a service goes. Uh, did you did you see this coming, like, in your, in your business experience and your years in gaming and all of that? Did you see that gaming was going to shift into this direction again? I think the uh, if you were watching mobile at all, you had to understand it was going to. Um, like, you know, League of Legends has been out a very long time now. And I remember being incredibly skeptical that, like, free-to-play for big PC games and big console games would become, like, a normal thing. Um, and I, clearly I was wrong. Uh, but at the time, I remember, like, it's just – it's, like, too big a risk. How are you going to get someone to pay – you know, like I get it for mobile because like the mobile games, you generally make those for, you know, you can make a mobile game for really, really cheap, relatively speaking, like under $100,000. Um, and then you, they can scale up and up and up. But the ceiling on mobile game spending used to be like no more than a million for a mobile game. Yeah. Whereas the ceiling for like PC and all this stuff. But then if you watched what happened on free to play on the phones, like it was – it went from like premium is where like, you know, 90% of the money was made on the iTunes store to where no premium's dead and you have to go free to play in some way, shape or form to make any money on iTunes. That happened like really, really quickly. And then also the ceiling began to grow, right? Like, um, like how much you could make and free to play on mobile and the budgets of those games grew really, really, really fucking fast. And so, uh, like just like watching like League of Legends, I was originally like very like, oh no, like this is not going to be a thing. Like, this is impossible. I can't see how the number scale. To like just watching mobile kind of begrudgingly and being like, okay, I guess this is actually a thing, and we need to get ready for it. Um, uh, so it's not so much I saw it coming as I just was like watching what was happening and like taking notes, kind of like everybody else did. Okay, okay, that right. makes sense. You on that on that same note. You had a the hand in Killer Instinct, which is, as far as I am aware of, still the only fighting game that has that sort of model. Do you think that? Yeah, I don't know. If, I don't. De- De- Dead or Alive, they they did a, one of those that was free to play in um, Asia. I don't know if that's still running or not. Um, but yeah, your point is like there's not a lot of them, and that's 100 true. And Ki is still free to play. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I just downloaded it a couple weeks ago, saying like, you know what? Why haven't I gotten this? It's free. I might as well. Right. And uh, do you think that's going to be something that comes more commonly? Because, like, right now for, say, consoles, that's really not a thing yet. Not not on fighting games. Not it's it's pretty much limited to mobas and like things that are right. sort of in that same space. But it does work for fighting games. It does work for probably could work for shooters. Do you think that's going to be something that we're going to see more? The, the big problem with 
so yeah, so I think inevitably you will, especially with like Fortnite success, right? Like, yeah. oh, I think anyone any anyone that's skeptical about um, free to play in other genres or free to play on console or whatever is like it, it should be. You can't dismiss what Fortnite is doing. You have to think about it now, right? So the the problem with free to play is um, you have to design the game. This is like this is going to sound negative, but I don't mean it in a negative way. It's just a reality. Like you have to design the game with free to play in mind. Like sure. when you're just making a like a, a, a premium game, you just try to like you have a concept for the game. You try to make it as good as you can, and you hope that other people think it's cool too, right? And then that finds an audience or it doesn't. Uh, people buy it or they don't. And then that's kind of the end of it. Whereas with free-to-play, you can make – you can be dead in the water before you start if you don't have – like if you don't have any inkling of how you're going to monetize it and what you're going to do and how the gameplay is going to work and with, with respect to the limitations of like, okay, like – like if you're thinking about free to play, you need to think about a couple of things. Like one, like how is it instantly fun? Uh, two, like I want people to be able to spend as much as they want to be able to spend on this game, right? Um, I don't want like it to be capped at like ten dollars because they just bought all the costumes or whatever, and now they're done. Uh, so there's just a bunch of things you need to think about if you're designing it, and uh, unless you've done it several times, uh, it's really hard to integrate that thinking into your production methodology and so uh it's yeah so i think everyone needs to but it's it's a really really hard thing to do <laughs> like i don't think the, I, like i like i don't think the i don't think like the for example like the the free-to-play uh monetization in killer instinct is like it it it's clearly not right Right. It can definitively say that. Like, it's not like it's not broken or whatever, because people spend money on the game and people have fun playing the game. But like Killer Instinct's a good game. Right. And like the, the difference between like a Fortnite or a League of Legends and any other game that is free to play and has not taken off that's good. Right. Is like, OK, there's something about the the rule, the, the perceived cost or the reward they get from purchasing something or whatever it is that's just off for that game. Right. And it's, it's why, cause like essentially if you like a game and it's fun and it's free, why would you not play it forever? Well, people don't. And so, uh, you must've done something wrong. Right. So what is that? And I think like figuring that out for all, like you just, it's a good exercise. Just kind of look at a game that's free to play that maybe is kind of stalled or isn't doing great on the, on the marketplace. And just try to figure out why you think it is. Like, hey, I think this is a good game. Why isn't it doing better? And just go through the mental exercise of that. You can kind of start to understand, like, what's so hard about making free-to-play games. Yeah. Battle Royales lend themselves especially well to the free-to-play model so, like, cleanly. Yeah. Because it's one map. You can just make as many cosmetics as you like. You can add gun skins. You can add, like, a lot of different things yeah. to the game. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good example of a game that, like, you know, it wasn't initially thought of as, like, a free-to-play thing. But then, you know, Epic really correctly noticed that, oh, wait, this could be free-to-play and work really, really well because of all the things you just talked about. It's not like, you know, the, like, if you have to make tons and tons of expensive content to keep the – like, one of, one of the rules of running a free-to-play game is you have to keep it updating it all the time, 
right? Like the minute you miss an update schedule, it's kind of like running a podcast. Like, you know, the podcast I do, it's like, uh, I know like if we miss a week, we're going to lose listeners, right? It's just part of it. And it's the same with free to play games. Like people like, Oh, like, like people every single month, something's coming out for killer instinct. As long as people knew that was happening, they'd always come back and check it out. But then, you know, the minute we'd stop doing that, it's like immediately just all dried up. Right. And so if you think about that from a business perspective, okay, so what, what kind of content can you make quickly like that to, to facilitate updates or even faster updates like, like Epic does with Fortnite every single week they have an update. Right. So like, you need content that's really easy to make. You need content that's not expensive to make. And like costumes are a good example of that. And, you know, weapon skins are a good example of that. Like whole characters for a fighting game are not a good example of that. Right? <laughs> it's a little harder. Yeah. And so um, it's just like, uh, yeah. The, so you have to be really mindful of what you're doing um, when, yeah. Yeah. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah little behind baseball for that ass. <laughs> <laughs> That's good shit, man. I it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Do you have a take on on PUBG versus Fortnite when it was initially released? Um so I like both games. I I, I play basically I have two groups I play with. I play Fortnite with my son and then I have a group of people at Iron Galaxy we play PUBG with. Um I think personally uh I've been playing PUBG longer and I'm better at it. So I just kind of have a bias towards that. I just stink at building still in Fortnite. Um, so that's, I got, I got to work on my building skills. Play more. Uh, but I, I think both games are really well put together. And uh, like, I think the, the cool thing that Fortnite did is Fortnite, like people got so used to PUBG and how janky it was and just like how poor, like they just did a bad job of communicating what they were working on and they were doing I think they're much better about it now. Right. But like during the whole early access phase, I think people just felt like, Oh, it's another update and my problem didn't get fixed or the frame rate still is suboptimal for me or whatever. And they just didn't feel like they were getting listened to. Whereas with Fortnite, I think everyone knows that, you know, Epic is like killing that part of it and doing a really good job. And so I think like uh, it's kind of cool that they're both doing well because like Epic doing that so much better than the PUBG Corp uh, has made PUBG Corp get better at that stuff. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, and so it's kind of like as a gamer, it's amazing time because um, like you, there's they're making each other's games better, which is like we're super awesome. Yeah, yeah, and this is why competition is a good thing. It is very yeah. Yeah. yeah, actually, uh, that kind of reminds me, like, as a developer, how do you feel about the much more open dialogue between consumer and producer in gaming? Because this is something that has not ever been a thing until, like, maybe even five years ago, where you can get direct feedback from a developer saying, hey, I have this bug, and they'll get back to you within an hour saying... Okay, yeah, let's fix that. Like, how, how do you feel about that as a developer? I, there's there's parts of it that are really good and there's parts of it that are very challenging. Like, like for when we were working on KI, like deep in the throes of like season two and three, um, we would do an update and then we would just we'd go to Ultra Combo, which is the, the you know, the, the Microsoft run KI forum. It's the official forum for Killer Instinct. 
Um, and we just scan the forums like every hour. And it's like, oh, well, a lot of people are having this problem. We should look into that, right? Mm-hmm. And then we'd look into it, and we would determine like, oh, yeah, this is a major fucking problem. Let's get like an emergency update out and address it, right? And like that stuff is awesome um, because it's like the it, – it's like you said, it wasn't really possible before. It makes the game better, and it makes the community better, right? Like there's no downside to that. Um, the stuff that's more challenging is where um, – you know, it's like it, it, this is this analogy is somewhat problematic and it's not quite right. But it's like <laughs> like if, if I don't if I don't like like a song, right, like I don't go to uh, like the artist and be like, oh, you can't even play chords, bro, or whatever, you know, <laughs> like like why, why don't you what like why don't you use why don't you use more uh, more trombone or whatever, you know, and with game development, like everyone is an armchair designer. Right. Everyone. And uh, when you are trying to make something competitive, like we were for Killer Instinct, like trying to make a very strong competitive scene for that. um, Top players, like one of the one of the hardest things to deal with is top players that don't understand how games get made. Um, (laughs) I see a lot of that because it's like, you know, like uh, they, they just they look at the patch notes and they just go straight to their character, and you saw, oh, you nerfed this move by 10%, and you totally took this move out altogether. And all they feel like is, my character got worse, right? Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's, it's all relative to what happened to everyone else as well, right? And uh, so then they just get on Twitter, or they you know get on Discord or whatever, and they start spamming you and slamming you and all this stuff. And it's like, I can't like just inject like, until you've made a couple games, it's impossible for you to understand why we had to do these things, right? And either you trust us or we don't, right? And so for situations like that, all you can do, you can't hope that they'll ever understand because they won't. It's just not possible. Sure. Uh, so all you can hope to do is earn their trust over a long period of time, right? So that when you do do something that hurts their favorite character or whatever or hurts their chances in an upcoming tournament by their eyes – um, that they'll at least say, okay, well, I know they did it for a reason. Uh, I don't quite get it today, but whatever, maybe I'll get a boost tomorrow or whatever. Right? That's like the best you could possibly hope for, which is pretty frustrating. Um, but probably still better than like not hearing any feedback ever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that it, it's outweighed by the positives, but man, man, do I see some complaints. I could imagine how bad it gets with people with like tremendous audiences too, where it's just constantly the same feedback about the same character over and over and over, where you might think that it's actually a larger problem than it is because I mean, so many people are getting at you over it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we had like with killer instinct, like I don't think Microsoft, Microsoft has released some numbers previously about how many people have, played killer instinct and what our peak CCUs were. And, uh, and I, I don't remember all those top of my head, so I'm not going to try to quote them, but like it was pretty significant. And, uh, it was, and I, so I, I, like, I'm not like, you know, if you look at like Cliff Bozinski's Twitter feed over the last, like since he announced that boss is closing, Ooh. he's retweeted some of the awful things people have said to him or whatever. Oh, right. Man. Oh. And like, and, but like, I, I know exactly what that is, it's like, okay, when we were working on Killer Instinct, 
there was four people that drove me nuts every single day. And they were mad that Rare wasn't working on the game. was basically their beef, right? Okay. <laughs> Essentially, like, why isn't Rare doing this game? You guys suck. We'll have Rare do it. And every single day they would post something in the forums or they would post something here. And it's like, I don't, you know, like, I don't care. As long as you don't personally attack me or any of my employees or whatever, uh, you don't stalk any of my people, harass them online. Like, you could say, I'm not here to tell you how to feel about Killer Instinct, right? If you you paid money for it, you, you paid money for that or Dive Kick or whatever it is, I'm not here to tell you how to feel about it. You have the right to feel how you feel. The... But when you do it every single day, you just kind of are a burden to the rest of the people that are there to have fun. And uh, it really sucks. And I don't know what to do about people like that because you're never going to make them happy. Like the only thing that would make them happy is if Rare was working on the game. (laughs) Somehow they're compelled to come post in the forum every single day about how we suck and we don't listen and we do this and this and this or whatever. Right. And um, there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, there's. Uh, you know, some days there's good and some days there's bad. On the bad days, it stinks. It's like you don't want to deal with it, but it's part of the job. So, yeah, yeah, I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. I that's like that would that would get the response from me uh, similar to what Jay Z said on I can't remember what track that was, but if you like my old shit, go buy my old album. Yeah, like it, yeah. That's, but I can understand you as a professional not being able to say that to somebody on a forum. Well, yeah, I also draw the line too about like when, like I said, if you if you just have complaints about the game, that's all day long. I'll listen to you, right? That's that's my job is to ingest that feedback and try to find something actionable in there, right? So I try to find some truth that resonates with me in your feedback, right? Um, if you attack me personally then I don't care. Then I'll come after you. I'll, I'll, I'll pull up your bio. I'll find a picture. I'll find you. You're like, Oh look, you're, here's a picture of you in your basement and you have super friends curtains. Like I'm coming after you and it doesn't matter. Right. So, uh, that's, but that's also like, I can do that because no one can fire me. Right. <laughs> like, like not everyone can do that. And so it's it super, it super sucks, but whatever. It's like, again, it's one of those things, like I was saying, like kind of beginning of the podcast when I was kind of bemoaning, like, oh, I don't get the program anymore. And it sounded like I don't like my job very much. Like, I love this job and I love that we get to do what we do. This is one of the elements about it that's not great. But like the pluses outweigh the minuses by far. Yeah, I could imagine like being on Skype in Tokyo right now. (laughs) (laughs) For example, just hypothetically. Yeah, just hypothetically. hypothetically. Uh, actually, on that hypothetically, you said you were six foot seven. How the hell do you get around Tokyo? Uh, it's not easy. Um, <laughs> I usually have a, have, a, have a counter for how many times I hit my head on any trip to Tokyo. Uh, so far, it's zero. The other thing that sucks too about about like so I also wear baseball hats kind of with a low brim um, everywhere, and so it makes it even harder to see things you're going to jam your head into. This um, seems like a bad decision. Yeah, it's it's not great. It's not great. Uh, yeah, so it's it's. I don't take baths. I tend to just you know take the showers. That also helps. I remember reading once Andre the Giant. Um, this is you know twenty years ago or whatever before it was even like more westernized than it is now. But like when he'd come to Tokyo for wrestling, he would have to shit in the tub. <laughs> 
He would actually shit in tubs because he couldn't use the toilets. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> God, that would be that's fucking awful. Imagine that. That's just fucking so bad. But, now, now they have uh, toilets made for big fat American asses. <laughs> yeah, and the, the, and there's robots in them, and they they you know wash your butt for you too. It's great. I love it here. <laughs> Wonderful place. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Do any studies or any like outside research affect how you guys do your job in the office? Like, for instance, uh, somebody recently linked me a study about uh, the amount of, I believe it was like young men not entering the labor force in order to play games more. Uh, between the ages of like 18 and 35, it was becoming a more and more common thing where. Uh, young people weren't leaving the house to play games. Huh. Um, so n- not uh, so. A lot of what we do is dictated by other companies. Like like we're we like we we have we don't work on many ideas that are ours, right? That started Iron Galaxy and they're ours. And you know we might get there one day. We might decide that's worth doing. But for now, most of the time, it's like Microsoft comes to us and says, "Hey." We want you to do seasons two and three of Killer Instinct because we think you guys are awesome and you do a good job at it and whatever. Uh, that's how most of our opportunities happen. And so because of that, we're working for other people most of the time, right? And we can have opinions about like, oh, we think this thing or this thing is a trend we should watch. And if we think that, we'll bring it up with people or whatever. But you know, more often than not, these people have a plan for what they want to do with the game and what they, how they want to market it and how they want to sell it and how they want to do all these things. And so uh, it's not that we don't pay attention to this stuff so much as for most games we do, we don't have like um, a venue to like express those opinions all the time. Um, where we do have done a lot more thinking about is it like internal company things and paying attention to like okay, what is like the latest in what's the latest thoughts on like employee performance reviews? Right. And, uh, let's read some studies that have done recently about like the best way to get the most out of the people here and make, how do you, how do like companies that have the happiest employees, how do they do it? And things like that. And, um, cause that's all stuff that no one else can affect, right? That's just stuff that's just internal to us. And so, uh, that we do a lot more thinking about like along those kind of lines typically. Uh, so in your travels as the, the C3PO of Iron Galaxy, what's, what's one place that you can go to repeatedly forever and just never stop there stop going? Uh, I'm here now. Yeah, actually. <laughs> I had a feeling. You think yeah. Bit Summit? Yeah, I was, I was in town for Bit Summit and I stuck around this meeting or this week for some meetings out here. Um, I guess like my, I pretty much just like, traveling i really like my favorite places are like like i love going to amsterdam uh i love kyoto i love singapore uh i've I've started coming to seoul more recently and i really like seoul a lot too but if i had one city where it's like you know okay free ticket anywhere where you go and it's probably tokyo it's like it's impossibly big uh it's impossible to kind of like discover everything there is about it um there's always like you know, you think you had the best ramen, and then you find out there's a better ramen spot across town tomorrow. You know, you, know, you, know, you think you found the weirdest. You think you, feel, you think a robot restaurant is weird. Well, I've got a ninja themed restaurant for you. You know, <laughs> it's just like uh, it's it's like bizarre beyond words in the best possible way. Uh, I mean, that is like the highest compliment. And uh, I don't think you could ever get sick of coming here. 
That's I, awesome. I feel that. I feel that. I've been twice, and it's. I'm getting the itch to go back. So number one. Uh, oh, man. oh, strong, strong zero. zero, strong zero. Number one, strong zero flavor. Everyone. So I. So everyone here is drinking. Like I've seen more strong zero this trip than I've seen on any other trip. So if you're in, into playing the markets, I would recommend Strong Zero investment right now. Um, I would do that out of personal interest. <laughs> I actually, so I actually am not a Strong Zero enthusiast personally. Um, I know it's it's shameful shit. I know. Uh, I'm more just like a straight biru guy. Like, give me a nice uh, ibisu malted. Uh, I used to like drink beer for days here. I don't know what it is. Like, the I also have a really good spot. Um, and a sake spot I really like where they like they bring out like three huge bottles from different regions Ooh. and they pour you like little mini glasses of each one and you drink it. And then they pour you a huge glass of the one you like the best. And then when that's done, they bring that bottle out again and then two other new ones. Ooh. And so it's kind of like a terminal showdown for sake and you get you get rocked pretty quick doing that. Uh, yeah. So I was a, and I'm mostly a beer and sake guy when I'm out here. All right. OK. Have you been to Beer Mountain? Uh, I've been to Liquor Mountain. I've never been to Beer Mountain. Oh. What's Beer Mountain? Oh, it might be. It might be the same spot. Uh, maybe I've I've got like the name messed up. But essentially, they just bring you a big fucking beer. No, so I've so I've heard about that place. It's not the same spot. Oh. Um, I've I've never been to Beer Mountain. I'm gonna Google it now. This sounds like something I should do. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I might do this right after I leave you on this call. We might go. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh man, yeah. Uh, so, when you when you're traveling, what kind of things do you consider mostly? Like, just do you do you take into consideration that you want to spend time in these places, or is it just like ah, I kind of want to get in, get out, or is it more dependent on what's going on with like your personal life and your company? Or so generally, it's um, it's a it's a it depends on several factors obviously but like the, for the most part I want to I, I you know it has to be some like business reason to be in the area and then once I have that I kind of look for okay so I'm there to, for like meeting X right now is there meetings Y Z W Q that maybe wouldn't be worth a trip to Singapore or wouldn't be worth a trip to Tokyo just on its own but since I'm there I can knock them out. Um, then I try to book all that stuff. And then I always leave a little room on the backside just for like random follow-up meetings that might happen. And if they don't happen, then I go sightseeing or hang out with friends in the area or whatever during that time. So, um, I've got, you know, I travel a lot for my job and I have to be mindful of like the fact that I don't want my wife to divorce me and I want my kids to know who I am. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't spend too much superfluous time on the road. Uh, but like, I will almost always like have a day, at least a day on the end of like a really long trip like this one where it's like, okay, either I'm just going to decompress and wind down or I'm going to go someplace I've never seen before. Sure. That's cool. What are you, what are your top five cat or not top five, I guess top three travel tips for like getting on planes easily getting uh, off. So the, so first of all, you should, uh, whatever, like pick one airline and stick with it and a role in their, their rewards program, whatever it is. Um, like if you do any business travel at all, getting United's really simple one. I think it's bronze or whatever. Maybe I'm not sure what it is. Maybe silver. Um, it's basically 25,000 miles. And once you get that, 
like you'll never you'll never have that situation where uh you know you board the plane there's no overhead for your bags right because you're boarding before almost everybody else right so pick one airline stick with it try to get status on it um second is uh i tend to like I've gone back and forth on this over the years. Where I'm at on this now is I actually want to check bags now. I used to be like a person who like would never check a bag, right? I just want to be off the plane and walking straight to the cab or whatever. But now, like after a couple times of like being stuck at the airport for like six hours and then hauling all these bags around with me, and that just sucks. It's just awful. Um, so now I try to pack as light for carry on as possible. And check everything else. And sure, I mean, it slows me down 20 minutes at the end of a flight, but whatever. Um, I know it's a nightmare. I'm not hauling all this shit through the airport, which I really enjoy. So um, <laughs> I found Beer Mountain, by the way. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, it's, it, the Beer Mount is an all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink treat atop Mount Takeo. Uh, for 90 minutes, you can fill themselves full of fantastic food and drinks. Uh, it looks like I can get there on a train. It's going to be a bit of a hike, and I have to hike up a mountain. Uh, so maybe I'll do this Thursday on my day off. We'll see. All right. It's uh, you're going to work up your appetite climbing up the mountain, and then you yeah. sit down, eat, and drink like a like a very happy man. Yeah. This seems okay to me. This you is looking okay. Roll on down the hill. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This seems okay. That's legit. I'm post that's results. The, that's the one place that I want to go to. When I go out to Japan, finally, whenever beer I, mountain, yeah, beer beer mountain. You're, you you got to go to Japan, then, so you would enjoy yourself thoroughly. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I would certainly hope L- so. largely for the uh, open container policy and oh, no last yeah, call. Dude. <laughs> the the only two places in the U.S. that's legal are Vegas, Vegas and, and New Orleans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, those are two I know of. There may be more, but not a whole lot. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, it's weird though. Like the the weird thing about it is, so it's like, uh, generally walking around with any open food or beverage is really frowned upon here. Um, like they have vending machines everywhere, and uh, so I would naturally just like get a Coke Zero or whatever, and then walk to where I'm going, drink a Coke Zero, and then one of my friends is like, "Dude, what are you doing?" I'm like, "What do you mean? I'm drinking." It's like no one. You don't drink you're like you're supposed to crush that at the vending machine and then throw the can out right there. Like you're not supposed to walk around I'm like that's bullshit. Yeah. But then you start looking at it. No one ever has a Starbucks. No one ever has anything like yeah. they drink and eat like at the 7-Eleven or the Lawson's or whatever. And then they just walk to wherever they're going uh, until around about two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> then around the two in the morning. Come out. Yeah, it's a little more laissez faire around two in the morning. That's when you see the more the you know the strong zero play. Oh yeah. boy, that's uh, one of my favorite things to do is like walk around. Like there's uh, I forgot the name of the hill. It's like the Dogenzaka area of Shibuya. Uh, there's a bunch of like karaoke bars and stuff. So everyone out there is trashed, and it's like forty yeah. year old men that are you know well dressed that are just passed out on the street, and it's amazing. Yep. <laughs> It's beautiful. Or if, like, if, if you end up in the subway station at, like, you know, like, if you're trying to make, if you're out all night, you're trying to make the first train back to wherever you're going, like, 5 a.m. or whatever, just all the salary men, like, passed out at the subway station, yeah. right? It's amazing. Um, 
Actually, you know, the, there's one place too where you can drink them that is pretty generally accepted. Uh, Kyoto, there's this huge river going through the middle of Kyoto. And it's pretty common for people to get drinks and then go down by the river and have them there. The thing that's amazing about it is like the most popular spot is right by San Joe Station. And I've been there where there's at least 200 people there, right? And there's you have skateboard kids. It kind of seems like a lot of kids that are just kind of like counterculture kids uh, for Japan standards anyway. And they're just doing their thing. And then you got a lot of tourists that are drinking. But then there's not like a spot of litter anywhere. Yeah. Like, so even if like people, people somehow they don't fuck that up when they're in Japan, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's one of the craziest things that I've noticed about, uh, larger cities in different countries. Like, whereas in America, everything's fucking dirty. Like you, yeah. go, you go downtown anywhere and it's just filthy. But if you go like Japan, Thailand, uh, some parts of Hong Kong, uh, just based on what I've been told anyway, ridiculously clean people people treat those areas with respect it's really odd yeah it's just such a it's such a cultural thing right where it's like you know it's if you're seen as littering like you know it's got the same weight as if like well i don't want to i don't want to speculate on what's got the same weight as but yeah it's like really really frowned upon here in a way that people take seriously and it sticks in a way that it never could in America. Like America, no one gives a fuck what a stranger thinks about you. Right. <laughs> like, Oh, this person at the Lawson's is giving me the stink guy. I don't give a fuck. Right. And so, uh, here it matters for some reason. So it's good, it, but it's, yeah, God bless them. Cause, it works. uh, it works. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What's one of the, uh, worst travel experiences you've had? Um, I've been pretty lucky. I haven't had too many nightmare situations. One really bad one was um, I was flying from Chicago to Kuala Lumpur, and it was four stops over 30 hours. Oof. Oh, sorry, three stops. It was four legs and three stops over 30 hours. And when I'm traveling internationally, like, and I'm a big dude, right? Um, tall and also like not the most fit of all time for sure. And I just start, I get the travel funk about 12 hours in, mm, right? Oh and I, I get a little sheen going and I can feel it. And I bet I probably start to stink and is kind of like aware of it. By the end of that trip, I smelt like a trash pile. <laughs> and I was like, I get to see the person next to me in the seat on the last leg from Singapore to KL, like just trying to lean as far away from me as they possibly could. Oh, I just felt so bad. It's like, <laughs> It wasn't like a bad experience so, so per se so much as it was like, oh, boy, this sucks. I'm ruining this person's day. Uh, worst experience I've had is probably um, – you know, nothing is really springing to mind. Like one time I missed a flight uh, from Singapore to Chicago, and they only had one a day. Um, but it just meant I spent an extra day in Singapore with that yeah. not the end of the world. Uh Oh, no, I got one. Here it is. Here's my worst story of all time. So I was at Bit Summit two years ago, and my uh, best friend's father passed. Ooh. And I – so the way it was – I was going to go right from Bit Summit to Vegas for Evo. Um, so it was like Bit Summit was one weekend. Then I was going to spend a couple days in Kyoto, then fly to Vegas a little early for Evo then do Evo, then go home. And uh, I found out I can make it back for 
um, all the services and stuff. Uh, basically, they're, they're having the Friday before Evo, or Friday of Evo, I should say. Mm-hmm. So I stayed a little longer. Oh, no, wait, that's not what happened. So it was it was Saturday morning at Evo, and I had to be, that's right. So the services were Saturday morning. So I did the thing I was normally going to do. I flew into Vegas Friday. I checked into my hotel because I did because I like it was really hard to get hotels. Uh, There's a billion conventions in town. I couldn't just cancel reservation and get another one. Um, also, I think I prepaid it or something. So then I I did that thing where I got I went to the hotel. I checked in. I turned around. I went right to the airport. I flew <laughs> to Chicago. I got to Chicago like two in the morning. I went to bed uh friday i woke up saturday i did all this emotional labor at my friend's dad's funeral and then i got on a plane to go back to vegas for this panel i was supposed to be on for ki stuff and the plane uh halfway through determined they didn't get refueled properly and so they had to touch down in denver and i I, there's no way they told us what really happened because there's like that's not what happened we were on the ground in denver for like an hour Right. And then from Denver, we went to Vegas, ended up being like a, like a six hour trip to Vegas. And I missed the panel. And I was like, I was working on like a couple hours of sleep over the last like two days. And it was just fucking awful. And I got to Vegas and I basically spent the rest of the weekend in my room sleeping and not doing any Evo shit at all. (laughs) Um, So that whole thing was pretty shitty. Uh, That's rough. Oh boy. That is terrible. Oh man. Switching gears into the real shit. This is what I've been looking forward to. <laughs> so Dave is also the host of a podcast that comes out so infrequently that it may not even be a podcast anymore. We'll wait and see. I'm a Fix Wolves, a hip-hop podcast by two uh, 40-year-old dudes. Yes. Excellent. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. So Jeff and I have been talking about doing um, something like that for a long time. It basically is an excuse. It's kind of like the same reason I do the podcast with Daryl is like, Hey, I just want a reason to talk to Daryl more. And Daryl, we're really good friends and we don't really talk that much about, we don't hang out cause he's whatever, whatever. We both have families now and it's hard. And now he's also in Orlando. So let's give us a reason to chat it up more. So kind of why we did t- team GFB radio. Um, it's kind of for the same reason we did. I'm a fixed wolves. It's not so much me and Jeff want to talk more, but like, Every time we would get to talking about rap, it's like we'd find a lot in common or I would like he would introduce me to an artist or a track I'd never heard before. And it was I tend to like them nine times out of ten. Was, you know, our, our uh, tastes are kind of aligned. And so it's like we just need a reason to talk about hip hop more for just for our own selfish purposes. It's like we might as well just record it and then put it out whenever we do it. Um, I think there's probably a point in our future where we do that, we, we commit to a monthly schedule for I'm a Fixed Wolves, um, and we see how that goes. Uh, no promises, but uh, I think that's that's kind of what we've been talking about recently. Okay, that's what's up. All right, all right. This is kind of a random aside, but do you know who Big Ghost Limited is? No. So he's a blogger. Uh, he used to go by Big Ghostface. Um he most of his blog posts were shitting on Drake for various reasons. Okay. But I would argue that he's one of the best new producers to come out. Like period. Period. He does like a really great classic New York rap sound and I think he's fantastic. Okay. 
Yeah, so I just I got them here. I just pulled the web page up, so I'll check this out after uh, after we we hang up here. I'll check this out. Yeah, All right, definitely worth it. Definitely. And so I need to know top three producers. Um, I think so. It's for me with producers and rappers. It's you need a couple things. You need a massive body of work, right? Like, uh, like I'll never put like Big L in my best rappers of all times because he has so like not a, not a big body enough body of work to warrant it. Yeah. Um, and uh, no matter how much he killed that freestyle on Hot ninety seven, um, <laughs> he's not making it in there. You also need like a couple iconic tracks. Uh, as a partner, as a producer, I mean, I preferably you have it with multiple part. You have like iconic tracks with multiple partners, uh, so it's not just like you know you and uh, like Eric Sermon, the great producer, kind of never really meet his same heights as he did when he was with EPMD. You know, uh, Keith Murray or doing his own solo stuff. Like I really liked his solo album, um, his first one anyway. But it's like still just not quite the same. So kind of like along those lines. For me, number one is Primo, for sure. Um, like, DJ Premier, I, if, if that's your metric, like, who's better than him? Uh, I'd say number two, this one's probably kind of controversial, but longevity has definitely got that as Doom. I really love Doom stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then third, I think, is like, I feel there's a lot of people that could be my third. Um like I think Dan the Automator could be in there. I think uh, uh, Just Blaze could be in there. No. I think actually it's probably Just Blaze. Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, so Just Blaze is my number three. Yeah. All right. Yeah, he's he's quite good. I was yeah. I'm I'm more or less on the same page as you, uh, but in no particular order. Rather than Doom, I would go with Madlib, mostly because I like his. Uh, jazz stuff that he's done on the yeah, yeah, yeah. as well as like his uh world series or i can't remember what it's called actually i have to go look at it but yeah his production like mad villainy is probably my favorite album of all time yeah it's without a doubt it's it's got to be one of the like if it's not you know i'm not like everyone likes their own things and not everyone has to like the same stuff or whatever but like if you don't love Mad Villainy, we probably can't be friends. <laughs> like that's just that's just the way it is. That's fair. That's like, fair. I feel that. DJ Premier as well, yeah. and then Just Blaze, uh, because he's got one of the most fire DJ drops. Just Blaze or producer yeah. drops, excuse me. Yes, yes. Really uh, strong. Yeah, there it, are there are a few other strong ones, strong producer drops though. I mean Get familiar. Get, 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 get familiar. <laughs> the other thing about Just Blaze, too, is like you you only kind of like – he's also worked on a bunch of stuff you don't even know he's worked on. Yeah. Because um, he's not always front and center with everything he does um, like that. Uh, and so once you really check out, hit the Wikipedia page, it's like, holy shit, this guy is prolific. Uh, yeah, in a way, a I don't really pop, know. Right? Yeah, he does everything. Yeah. That's awesome. Exhibit C – Definitely one oh. of the hardest beats ever made. Well, I guess that's yeah. my favorite J Electronica track. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's because he's only got four. Yeah. <laughs> There's the, it's actually, what's my favorite J Electronica track? It's the one, it's like a boxing thing. 
Uh, God damn it. Let me pull it up on my oh, – we have to sign in the SoundCloud so it won't work. Yeah. But my favorite one is – I'm just going to Google this real quick, see if I can find it. Because Exhibit C is obviously great. Um, yeah. But he, there's another song that I freaking love. Here's his Wikipedia. Um, the, it's not on here. Great. Good story. Cool story, bro. <laughs> All right. Thought yeah. I got this time. <laughs> It's it's funny because like J Electronica is probably one of the most overrated rappers ever, <laughs> mainly because like he's people really- he's he was basically like Dr. Dre with the Chronic, except an actual full length album coming from him. Yeah, like the thing with the J Electronica is like he he's somehow he's got that thing where um, people that love J Electronica electronic fans fucking love J electronica in a way like impossibly passionate about J electronica uh in a weird way considering he's done like so limited things um but yeah it's uh i'm kind of stumbling here so i'm thumbing through a youtube playlist of J electronica things <laughs> trying to here's this track um do 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 anyway if i find it i'll shout it out later all right for sure all right for sure uh What's your what's your hottest hot take in rap? Uh, Migo sucks. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> shit. Oh, that that's is, my hot. It's a, a really good hot take, right? That yeah, is it is. It is. No, I got to say that last album was. <laughs> I don't know why people insist on putting out 30 track. Albums. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, cut that shit in half and you might have a decent album. <laughs> yeah. Like Ray so, Shrummer came out with an album. 24 tracks. Yeah, it's, it's even the uh yeah like ever uh, the more this is one of those things like when i was little i used to geek out about like oh the wu-tang double lp or whatever yeah. right and even if like that's a rare case where there's almost no trash on that double lp and a lot of it is fire but that's you still what i've come to appreciate 20 years later 30 years later or whatever it is just take out the other stuff and have just the fire and it's better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Like, exactly. like a little, a little uh, less is more situation for sure. Like, yeah, I don't get like people that do that. Like the, you know, I really like sky zoo and he released a record, um, you know, a couple months ago and I was listening to it and like, it's like, yeah, this is, this is all fine, but it's like, just make it 10 tracks instead of 16 and I'm fucking a lot happier. It's weird. I, I never would have. I never would have said that like a long time ago. I would have been like, no, I want to hear everything they have to say, everything they have to think. I want to hear it all. Blah 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 blah. But now I'm just like, nah, fuck it. Just give me the fire. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't mind when artists put out like some previously unreleased tracks as like a side thing. But for your main, like, this is my headline album right now. This is what I'm touring with. This is what I'm pushing. Like, let's only get the strong stuff here. All right. Yep. Exactly. So I would argue that maybe there are two or three, as far as like widely, widely released albums, I would argue that there are two or three maybe pretty close to perfect albums. Okay. Uh, Did you say Yeezus? Yeah, Yeezus. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Duh. No. no. I would say Missy Elliott's Under Construction. Okay. And 
Ludacris's uh oh what, word of mouth? No, the very first one. Uh Southern Hospitality. Yeah, okay. Yeah. As far as like commercial releases go. Like larger scale ones because like most of the time people end up squeaking out some trash onto their albums. Yeah, they'll they'll put on one or two that's like, why is this who 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 let this through? Yeah. But yeah. Missy Elliott, bangers all the way yeah. from yeah, front I'm, to I'm back. I'm looking at the track listing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, these all go hard. Yeah, the Missy Elliott is uh, greatly, I think, like, uh, definitely underappreciated um, in like terms of like hip hop history and her place in it for sure. That album rules. I, I had an irrational dislike of Ludacris for a long time. Um, <laughs> And I, I think it was just the Southern rapper bias, like wasn't into it. And then over time I slowly got back into it. And so I like, I did not, I was not listening to Ludacris at peak Ludacris. Um, but yeah, I definitely appreciate what he does now more than I ever did. Um, and I found this track gentlemen. Oh, it's called, uh, J electronica, the curse of Mayweather. I'll post, I'll post a link in the chat here so you can listen to it. Post, uh, post podcast. And savor the flavor. I, I got one more thing that um, that's more game related. As as a Western developer, and like you know, coming from an American standpoint, and doing fighting games and doing stuff that kind of competes more in a, what's traditionally an Asian space. How do you think, like, how do you think Americans are, or just Western developers, are? winning in the game and losing in the game like what do you think the two regions can really learn from each other um yeah so i think like there's not a lot so it's a, it's kind of weird right there's not a lot of american fighting game developers yeah. there's nether realm right nether realm obviously kills it with mortal Kombat and injustice um there's us there's um you know the skull girls crew uh there's the wave dash guys, whatever they're up to these days. And there's, there's not, there's not a ton of like really prolific, uh, you know, North American fighting game developers. Um, and in Asia, that's probably slightly more prolific. I think the big differences are, um, uh, this is, I really hate talking generalities like this, but I do find that like the net code in most of the Asia games, like they just don't get online. Um, the online experience is not right. Like whether it's just how awkward it is to make a lobby in blaze blue or sorry, dragon ball Z or like whatever it is. Right. I just think like they're just not, they don't get online the way we do. Um, and so that, that suffers because of that. Um, and I think here we kind of make like one type of fighting game. Right. And over there, there could be a lot more experimentation in like, character types and you know mechanics and they're going to just do there's going to do more different stuff in asia than we do here in fighting games so let's say those are probably like the two biggest differences but um i'm sure you can easily find examples where both of those things i just said are untrue so sure sure have you gotten to play blaze blue cross tag i have not yet all right yeah <laughs> yeah I've, i i, I want to hear some opinions on that one okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've uh, I'm I, was, I saw the Evo numbers and it looks like Dragon Ball Z is doing great. Yeah, uh, killing it. So that's really cool. I was glad to see it because I, th I thought with um with how all the online problems they had, maybe it wasn't going to thrive. But it seems like it's doing really well, which is awesome. So yeah, it's it's 
I'm happy to see that it has held some of that popularity that, you know, you lost 80% of your players on Steam, but the 20%, they're still around. Like, that number hasn't really dropped since then. So, you know, good for them. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a, they deserve to be successful. They, they're a great developer. They clearly give a shit. Uh, I really like what Arxis does. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Man, positivity. One last very important question. Sure. Onosan. Har- Haradasan. And Markman. Fuck, Mary kill, go. <laughs> oh, uh, so I don't want to say kill for any of them. Can we say Mary, uh, Mary put in prison and what was the, and what was the other, Mary, Mary put in prison and what's the other one? Oh, fuck. Oh, so I'm fucking Mark man for sure. <laughs> uh, I put Onosan in prison and I marry Harada. All right. Beautiful. Yeah. That, that, it's really simple. Didn't even have to think about it. All right, clean. I like it. <laughs> Shooting from the hip. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Uh, got any? Got any flexing you want to do? Uh, no. You know we've um, we're busy. We've got a Twitter account. Uh, I to the G. If you're not familiar with me on Twitter, uh, I, like Denzel said, I try to tweet every meme I find. So if that's kind of your personal brand, uh, give me a follow at Joseph J Brony. Um, I have two podcasts I contribute to. One is Team GFB Radio. That is kind of game centric, I guess. Um, and then we have the hip hop one. I'm a fix wolves. Uh, it's I'm a fix wolves pod. It's the Twitter for that one. So, uh, just hit all those up, give a follow and, uh, yeah, let me know what you think. Thanks again, Mr. Lang for coming onto the show. Uh, we really appreciate it. You can find him on Twitter at Joseph J Brony. You can follow his company on Twitter at I to the G, named after the song by Cannibal Ox. I don't know if that's actually the case. We should have asked him what, like, I, you know, I meant to, and just, <laughs> you know, yeah. we started talking about uh, Andre the Giant taking a shit in a tub. <laughs> <laughs> kind of ruins your train of thought. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, we're going to get on to the questions from the subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash real nerd hours. Join us. Today's first question comes from Samurai Jack the Face Ripper. He asks, what's more hype, Gambino's This Is America edition? The song, the video, or everyone's reaction to Gambino's dancing? And then Kokinen throws in the, uh, the wild card of how about the memes? Um, I would say, um, I think the song is pretty, pretty lit. Like of everything, that's the thing that I enjoy the most, the song. I, I think meme production, uh, given to the proletariat, uh, the production of the memes given to the people, uh, has turned out for the worse. Uh, People make a lot of really bad memes, man. Yeah, there's like, there's some that I enjoy. Like, I know there's some people saying like, yo, you shouldn't be out here laughing at this stuff. That's mad problematic. I understand where you're coming from, but That's I, I will also still admit like there's some stuff out there that I really enjoy. However, there's a lot of like low effort shit. There's like, they find any song 
that's at the same BPM and it's like, oh, this is my new hilarious meme. Yeah. Like, oh, this fits Suavemente and this other Latin song. Like, wow. Come on, guys. Chill. Yeah. At least be funny about it. Yeah, fair enough. After that Carly Rae Jepsen one came out, I was like. Yeah, that one, like. Now, what I wanted out of that video. Was a mashup. Oh, well, I was going to say it was. That that would be pretty lit though, but yeah. was like after the gunshot, it just switches back to this is America. Like okay, cool. Like that'll be that'll be that'll be kind of holy hot. shit. Did you see the the white woman remake? That of was this what is I was America? gonna talk to next. Oh, oh shit. Man. Oh, okay, shit. so Nicole Arbor is like objectively terrible. Oh god. So who is she? Oh okay, so she's this YouTube girl. I don't know like how she started, but I know her from like some of her controversial YouTube videos. She just does like low effort, like bait kind of stuff. So like she has this video talking directly to fat people and saying like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't be a fat piece of shit. And like, that's not very nice. No, it's just riddled with middle-class privilege and (laughs) just a deep, misunderstanding of poverty and fat and you know genetics just really bashing on fat people for no reason and she just gets away with it because she's an attractive white woman and uh yeah then her this is america video was just that was bad on all accounts they're talking about it on jesus and marrow tonight yeah it's it's a tuesday so i i can't wait to see i I, I saw the uh a facebook link to that and i'm like god i could click this right now during this interview (laughs) oh god fucking yeah nah i i I am that's it's like i don't know i am upset about (laughs) i don't know i'm i'm getting sick of media like social media especially people who produce things that are like low effort and bad Shout out to us. We'll be on that same wave soon. Yeah. But fuck, man. It gets tiresome having to deal with some of this shit. Yeah, man. Like, I think one thing that we will probably uh, be above, at least for the time being, is hopping on other people's swag. Like, I would never. This is America. And it was so bad, too. Like, even if it was, like, without the video, without changing the lyrics, like, that was a horrible fucking cover. Yes. Got got rape in my area. (sighs) Yikes. But then she was, like, adding all these inflections where she shouldn't have, like, this is America. Yeah. Don't don't ever fucking do that. And then there were, like, very few women of color in that video, with the exception of, like, two. Yeah, of course. And then, like, all of the subtle nuance to the video. Because, like, some people say the original This Is America video was not subtle in the least. But I will definitely argue that my first watch of it, I was not paying attention to the background and, like, I didn't see the pale horse in the back. Like I wasn't watching that. I was watching the dancing. That was the point. You know, I, I'm going to argue that though it may not be subtle, it certainly isn't overt. Right. And you can tell that it's not overt because people are still talking about it, trying to decipher its meaning. Right. And where, God, whereas Nicole Arbor's video was, 
very overt. Yeah, she was just explaining it to you. She was just, she was literally (laughs) just explaining it to you. Uh, Yeah, uh, this is America. Rape culture is bad. Uh, But, like, the thing is, again, like, I, I question anybody's, like, how do I even phrase this? Like, genuine interest in things. Because, like... Yeah, she made the video, but like I don't know that she even gives a fuck about any of what she's talking about. In the yeah. same way that Kanye like probably doesn't even give a fuck about anything he's talking about. Well, yeah, not lately. He's just drumming up controversy and like being able to tell whether or not somebody's like genuinely interested in what they're talking about, though it may not be important to a large degree, like as far as impact on society goes, but as far as like how you critique art and how you interpret things, that's that's when it becomes important. But at the same time, uh, that's it's very lowbrow what she did, lowbrow art, and I would argue that the world would be better off without it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was having a better week before that video came out, and then you know my crops were burned, <laughs> the earth was salted, and. <laughs> You know, that was it. Rip. <laughs> uh, but to answer the question more succinctly to me, the for me, the most hype part was the video because the video made me like the song better. And now I like the song. Yeah. I mean, the oh, here's a hot take for you. Uh, and I saw this take on Twitter and I wholly agree with it. Uh, Childish Gambino is the artist that Kanye thinks he is. Yeah. Yeah, he just did what Kanye wishes he did. (laughs) And, like, he's going to... Oh, God. Never mind. Never mind. All right. Continuing our discussion on accents and language, here comes Laura Silver with... Just a comment on accents and language in general. Years ago, I learned the reason why children that learned a second language were better were better at pronouncing that second language than someone who learned it as an adult and speaking it for, say, 30 years. So, for examples, Japanese-speaking adults tend to have difficulties just being able to say the the and pronounce it, and instead pronounce it as za, because the th sound isn't common in the language. Spanish-speaking adults will use the hard d for the th sound. I've personally heard earth and as erd often. The science behind this is how our brains develop with our body. And after a certain point in time, the brain loses an ability to develop certain functions if never introduced. This doesn't just work for speech either. Things like eyesight, the sense of smell, hearing, and motor functions are tied to this. So if someone gets surgery to be able to see but have been blind since birth, they essentially never learned how to see and wouldn't be able to see like we can. But someone that became blind as an adult could have that same surgery and have it be a success. So the moral of all this is teach your kids a language early so they can be good at it later. Works. Yeah, no, totally. And there's a lot of uh, prestigious early learning institutions that really push like kids learning Mandarin and stuff like that. Yeah, there's, a, there's I believe, a Mandarin immersion school pretty close to yeah. where i work there, there is a few in the area of those those uh particular schools but like i don't know i don't know why you would want your kid to learn mandarin uh so you can walk around the it department of a uh, university 
that's racist (laughs) Uh, uh, also uh inaccurate yes yes. because we all know that never mind i'm not even gonna say it i'm not gonna say it all right i i think part of it is because mandarin is the most widely spoken language in the world and it's one that we don't hear often in the u.s yeah, but that's exactly why. Like, if you're going to send your kid to an immersion school in the U.S., and, like, presumably, I mean, your kid's probably going to live in the U.S. for the remainder of their life. Something, I guess it would be more based on region, right? Sure. Like, teach them Spanish if you're in Southern California. But where where I would make the argument is that if you're in Southern California, you're going to hear Spanish regardless. Maybe not to the same extent as, you know, being immersed in it purposefully, but you can still pick that up. Like, I know, for example, my pronunciation of Spanish is much better than some of my other friends who have studied it much longer. That's because I have Spanish-speaking family. I grew up in Southern California. Like, I've been around it all of my life, and it's always been a thing, even though I haven't studied it much. Same kind of idea with uh, with Mandarin. If you're going to use that in the future, it may be helpful to be exposed to that early on where you may not hear it normally. Yeah, but, but you I could mean, be around it. You, you whereas you could be around Spanish regardless, you know? Yeah, I, I would still I would still say something like go online and teach your kids Mandarin through online versus sending them to like immersion school for it. I guess ultimately I just wouldn't recommend it just because like, where the fuck are you going to use it? China. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, like you can relearn it when you get older, but like it's, it's I, I think because it's got the, the stance of being the most spoken language in the world and that it's so different from English, I think it could be really useful. And I, I understand some of the logic, but I also, yeah. I also understand part of what you're coming from. It's like, really, where are you going to use it? Yeah. I mean, oh, good luck. Go to China. Have fun. Well, Have fun in China, kid. Yeah. I want to visit China. <laughs> uh, yeah. I want to visit parts of China. Yeah. I don't, very specific parts of China. I don't know if, what was it, Taiwan is now a part of China? Man, I never can keep up on t- China-Taiwan relations. Jeez. Oh, I know that, like, if you if you are from Taiwan and you call yourself Chinese, both mainland China and Taiwan will get offended for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> but not the Chinese government, because they like to send out letters to people letting them know that they're, it's Taiwan, and or it's China, and not an independent republic or anything like that. No, no. We can't be, can't be spreading that. <laughs> Juice Campbell asks... Oh, well. Juice Campbell says, Yo, Denzel, big props for the discussion about Douglas Adams and Isaac Asimov. Those are two excellent sci-fi authors. Mm, Thanks. My question is, have you ever heard of or read anything by Robert Heinlein? He's considered one of the great science fiction... He's considered one of the greats of science fiction as well, and actually wrote Starship Troopers. I ask because I remember you guys having a long conversation about Starship Troopers many, many episodes ago. His body of work is massive and influential, and I highly suggest looking into his fiction. Uh, I haven't read anything by him. I haven't even read the original Starship Troopers book. 
if I recall correctly, though, that book is far more self-serious than the movie is. It's not a satire by any means. It's just kind of a very pro-war, pro-jingoism book, if I recall correctly. I could be dead wrong, though. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, I'll look into it. Um, yeah, I'll take a look. I'll see what's good. Uh, if it's good, it's good, right? Like, yeah, I can't front on it if it's good. Yeah. But, yeah. Sounds Thanks, good. man. Thanks for the wreck. I'll look into some of his other works as well. All right, so this next question comes from a user who's either deleted their account or got banned. But the point is, it's, it's from deleted. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> he says, howdy, fellas. I got a quick one for Chet this week. Are there any non-competitive fighting games that you've played that have com- combat in them that you find just as satisfying to play as competitive fighters? I'm talking primarily single-player or co-op games with melee combat, i.e. the Batman Arkham series, Dying Light, Dishonored, etc. I know these are completely different flavors of games, but the key element is still hand-to-hand combat, and in Arkham's case, building combos. Thank you for your time, guys. Have a great week. That exact reason is actually why I love a lot of side-scrollers. And I, I feel like the the that system of combat is kind of what got me into side scrollers and fighting games. Like, for example, Double Dragon. Double Dragon 2 in particular was one of my favorite games as a kid and has a pretty robust combat system for such an old game. So I have to give props to that one because that you've got, you know, multiple multiple moves that can be done based on your timing alone and when you're doing two player you do it there was a sort of combo system that you can do that involved timing and cooperation and coordination etc so yeah i am all about any side scrolling beat em up type game that has good combat i love the river city ransom games for that river city underground had a an expanded idea of that. I wish that game wasn't so buggy. Maybe they fix things and I can get back to it. But that that game had had some great combat for that same reason. I haven't really played a whole lot of more recent beat 'em up types. So like I haven't actually gotten to play the Arkham series yet. I know those are great games and I would probably enjoy them a lot. Uh but if there's any others along those lines that you can recommend, I am for it. Also Monster Hunter has has a semblance of that idea you know a very similar sort of uh mentality tour where it's more skill based than just grinding it out and just playing the game more you actually have to be good at it and learn your stuff with your weapon so yeah i'm with it sleeping dogs has cool combat oh yeah i want to play that game and the story is really cool it's a very nice drama yeah it also has a feel of old karate movies, which I'm yes. always about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was done super on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Rella Rella asks, What would you do in this scenario? You're with your friend and going out to lunch. To get to the restaurant, you have to drive through kind of a shitty area, and on the way, he suddenly pulls over and picks up a hooker. 
Dude pulls out his dick and immediately she gets to work. Do you get out of your car and wait for your Uber in a sketchy area? Do you patiently wait for this friend to finish getting his dick sucked? Is this friendship over? What do you do in this situation? That friendship's dead. Oh, that's fucking done. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> that is some wild <laughs> shit. Yeah, this nah, sounds man. too specific to be fake. And what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah, I would not talk to that dude anymore. That seems very dangerous. Both of your asses could have got sent up the creek. Yeah. If that was a copper. Oh, Holy man. shit. And like you go into it, like I would have just been like, "Yo, what the fuck are you doing?" Oh yeah, I would have, I would have questioned that from not like minute nah, one. No, 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 no. You're dropping me off. You're dropping me the fuck off. Yeah, and then you can come back here if you want, but just don't talk to me ever again. God damn. Yo, we need to make a stop real quick. <laughs> Holy shit! Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Putty one asks, "Yo, Chet." You ever get jealous of Denzel for being way prettier than you? I think he misspelled petty. It says putty. No, no, way prettier rather than pettier. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> God damn. Uh, Next question. <laughs> Piggy Nucka asks, hey, Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Denzel, please let me know which one of my cute girl anime figures I showed you on Saturday at our party was your favorite and why. The one wearing the most clothes. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel less like a scumbag for like even looking at it. You mean it wasn't the Dragon's Crown figurine with the titty shelf? Oh, Jesus. No, it wasn't. <laughs> God. Uh- I hate anime so much. Oh, oof, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, man. Why, like, is that the next ev- evolution for incels? They just become like, oh, no, I'm not. Have you, ever, have you ever looked at hot glue forums? No? What is that? All that right, sounds well, like a euphemism for cum. That is exactly what it is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nikki then asks, Chet? How many more anime girl figurines do I need to buy before you break up with me? One. You're on thin ice, Missy. <laughs> uh, hopefully by the time you get home today, there isn't another one there. You're right. There's a box on the counters. Ooh. <laughs> it's like osmosis. They just keep popping up. They're I'm, multiplying. I can say like as a relief to myself that I know for a fact that a lot of those figurines were not purchased by her. A lot of them were gifts. Oh, that's nice. But there are still too many of those that were purchased by her. Yikes. (laughs) Yeah, that's got a problem. Enjoy Slurm asks, y'all mess with the Megalobox anime? I'm a big Hajime no Ippo guy, and this anime fills that craving with a really cool setting. Uh... I haven't watched it yet, mainly because I'm waiting for it to come out in its entirety before I do. I have been watching, and I think it is the best anime of definitely the season. Possibly the best new original thing uh, for the year. I'm, I'm I'm big on Boku no Hero Academia. That's the only other like really good thing thus far this year. But, you know, that's based off of a uh, manga and it's been continuing. So for new new IPs, definitely I'm going to say 
best one of the year. So I, I am enjoying it a lot. But I'm also really into Hajime no Ippo. I've watched a, or no, I've read a bit of Ashita no Joe, which this is like supposedly the spiritual successor to. I don't really see it, but I'll take it. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. Highly recommend. All right. That does it for questions for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's edition of Real Nerd Hours. Thanks again, Dave, for coming on. You can follow the show on Twitter at XRealNerdHours. You can follow me on Twitter at ThatDenzel. You can follow Chet on Twitter at BushidoBrownSD. Excellent. Join us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash RealNerdHours. You can like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash Real Nerd Hours Podcast. You can join our new Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Real Nerd Hours Podcast. And you can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash Real Nerd Hours. Uh, perfect. So, uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. And we'll see you next Thursday. Y'all have a good night.